Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Well, we are here. We are facing Device Talks Boston. It's happening on Tuesday and Wednesday. I've talked enough about it, so I'm sure you're aware of all that's going on, but we'll have over 100 speakers. We'll be talking about innovation, product development, supply chain, reimbursement, health equity. We'll cover so much more than that. You can also attend our other events. We'll have the Healthcare Robotics Engineering Forum. In fact, I'm going to speak with my robotics counterpart, Steve Crow, a little later in the podcast. We gave Chris Newmarker the week off. He's focusing on moderating a panel at Device Talks and uh, on some editorial projects. So I talked with Steve about the Healthcare Robotics Engineering Forum, and we'll learn about that. And you can also attend the Robot Summit and Expo. It's all happening right there on the BCEC on May 10th and 11th. So you can register at devicetalks.com. You can sign up for one and attend all three. And I also I put together a little bit of a contest for, uh, for our hardcore Device Talks weekly podcast listeners. I will play three pieces of interviews that we've run over the past year. And each of them, all three, will be speaking at Device Talks Boston. If you can identify the guest, and shoot me a direct message on LinkedIn, or if you want to send me an email at tsalemi, T-S-A-L-E-M-I, at wtwhmedia.com, but LinkedIn is probably easier. Uh, Send me the three names, and uh, I'll give you a free pass to Device Talks Boston. So how fun is that? This is like a radio show. But uh, it's going to be a, a great couple of days. I hope you will join us there. I just mentioned we gave Chris and his new markers, newsmakers the week off, but we still have some news to report. I'm sure you've heard by now. Shacy Petrovic, the CEO of Inslet, announced on Thursday that she'll be stepping down from her role as CEO to take care of uh, family matters. And uh, so Shacy was scheduled to be our opening keynote guest on the 11th. Insulet kindly uh, connected us with Eric Benjamin, who is the Executive Vice President of Innovation and Strategy at Insulet. He'll be coming on down and we will talk about the future of Omnipod 5, talk about their push into type 2 diabetes, and about the great work that Insulin is doing on the design and uh, manufacturing of Omnipod. It's one of these medical devices that uh, must be user-friendly, must be easy to use, and of course, must be precise because you cannot fool around with this. So uh, Eric's going to bring uh, down a lot of insights on how Insulet is getting it done. So this entire podcast is going to be a bit geared toward Device Talks Boston. We'll have Peter Stebbins, formerly of J&J, coming in to talk about his interview with Frank Doyle, who, of course, is dean of Harvard's John A. Paulson School of Engineering and Applied Sciences. He was uh, er, did a lot of the early work on the insulin pumps, and uh, he has a lot of great plans for Harvard's Engineering School. It's a, a beautiful new building located just outside of Boston, and uh, it's going to be a, a real, real great contributor to MedTech Innovation. So excited to hear from Dean Doyle. We'll also hear from our friend Paul Grand. Paul, of course, is the CEO of MedTech Innovator. MedTech Innovator is hard at work putting together its pitch competition for Device Talks Boston. This is the first time it's at a Device Talks meeting, and uh, we're excited to have them. They're going to have over 20 companies pitching throughout the meeting. They'll be on stage telling their stories, and then it will all wrap up with a pitch competition 
on stage on Wednesday afternoon at 2.45. The audience will get to vote on their favorite startup. So it's always a great show. Paul does this at many other MedTech meetings. I've attended a few of them and they are a lot of fun. So I hope you will will be part of that process and help select the winners of the MedTech Innovator Project. Finally, in this podcast, this is completely unrelated to Device Talks Boston, but I had a chance to speak with Dave Evans, who is the CEO of a company called Fictive. Fictive just raised $100 million from Bill Gates and many other noteworthy investors. And they have a unique approach to uh, engaging OEMs and medical device companies and, and companies outside of medical devices with contract manufacturers and product design shops. It's uh, it's something I didn't quite understand until I talked to him. And I think we'll get that sense from this in, from this interview. And uh, it could be a real disruptive force to uh, how medical devices are made. So I was uh, happy to have Dave on, enjoyed the conversation with him. And I think you will find it interesting as well. All right. Well, that is a lot. I hope you will join us at Device Talks Boston on May 10th and 11th. That's this Tuesday and Wednesday. I can just say Tuesday and Wednesday now. And uh, please do listen to the uh, to the upcoming bits of our past guests of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Once again, they've all been guests within the past year or so, year, maybe a week. And uh, they'll all be speakers at Device Talks Boston. So uh, let me know if you can recognize them. Shoot me their names on LinkedIn and uh, hopefully you'll win a free registration to Device Talks Boston. All right, let's get this podcast going. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Well, Steve Crow, how are you, buddy? Hey man, first time, long time. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I know I've been wanting to do this 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 crossover podcast crossover. You have your own podcast. Tell us a bit about. Tell our listeners a bit about it. it comes out every Friday, like Device Talks Weekly does. Yeah, yeah, not every week. I mean, we're not. You're making us look bad over here, but yeah, for the, <laughs> the last what two years, right? Just about every single week we've we've had. It's called the Robot Report Podcast, uh, and we just talk to the leaders in the robotics industry, right? Just uh, leading companies, leading individuals, leading the way, helping grow this great ecosystem that I get to be a part of. People who are doing interesting things, creating interesting products, interesting end users who have an interesting case study to share about how robotics has helped their business. So that's what we get onto the show. And it's been a lot of fun for the last, you know, two years or so. I was excited to join the company because we had a, a robotics vertical. You've got quite a little media empire over there. You've got several news sites and an event, which we're going to talk about in a second. But uh, what are the sites? What are the areas you focus on news-wise? Yeah, so we, we cover everything, right? So the flagship brand that we have is called the Robot Report. That's how the robotics group in WTWH was founded. They acquired the Robot Report, I think it was in late or mid-2017. And that's a pretty well-known brand created by a gentleman named Frank Toby, probably 10, 12 years ago. So they acquired that, brought me and my my boss, Dan Cara, on to sort of steer that ship. And then we've grown ever since, expanded into end-user publications, uh, Mobile Robot Guide, which we acquired in 2021. That's all about educating potential customers about the benefits of different types of mobile robots and how they can uh, their businesses would benefit from adopting and implementing and using mobile robots. Mm-hmm. We also have collaborative robotics trends, similar end user site focused on collaborative robotic arms. 
And we also have Robotics Business Review, which has been around for a long time that uh, focuses mainly on the, the business of robotics. But the, the flagship site is the Robot Report, sort of an all-encompassing look at what's happening around the global robotics ecosystem. Very cool. So the reason we're talking today is because you and I are going to actually be in the same building for once. I think it actually. Have we ever met? No. <laughs> I remember a cold and rainy. I forget where it was on the West Coast. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 The first we had, first. we had we had lunch once. Like yeah. Was, was we had lady. lunch once, and I was at Device Talks West, which was my only Device Talks meeting. Remember 2019? Yeah. That's, that's that right. was the first uh, in-person healthcare robotics engineering forum that we had ever done. That's in, right. In December of 2019, and now it's now it's coming back to Boston. And I remember thinking when I saw that, I'm like, God damn, like robotics is like one of the cooler parts of metal devices. And, and they created a separate event from it. But yours is very different than, than what we do. And I think they actually complement each other very well because we'll have some discussions about robotics. But you guys are, are super hardcore. I just wanted to give our listeners a sense of what will be going on at the Healthcare Robotics Engineering Forum and to remind them that if they register for device talks, they can go to your events and vice versa. Yeah, I, I think it's a, cur- a perfect compliment, right? So it's really the three shows located together, right? You got Device Talks Boston, Healthcare Robotics Engineering Forum, and the Robotics Summit. Really what we focus on, and I'll, I'll hone in on Healthcare Robotics Engineering Forum here, it's we're focusing on the engineering aspects of it, right? So our, our core attendee are healthcare robotics engineers. So that could be somebody working on the software part of a surgical robot, we also have, you know, people who are building mobile manipulation systems that it's a really early stage sort of concept to try to take care of folks who might have some disabilities and help them take care of themselves at home to remain in their home longer. We have uh, social robots that are helping younger children who might have social emotional issues. And, and here's a robot that can help them with their cognitive development. So we, we target a large range of healthcare robotic systems. And we did that on purpose, but the core person that we're trying to reach are the engineers who are helping build those products or the engineering management at those companies leading and steering the ship. You know, oftentimes in robotics, the CEO is an engineer, right? The VP is a trained engineer. Uh, A lot of these companies are are smaller, but yeah, that's who we reach. So it's a little bit different than I think uh, what you guys do at Device Talks, but it's a, it's a perfect compliment, you know, looking at the registration and the types of folks that we have I think we've hit a home run here, but we really focus in on the engineering challenges and, you know, teaching attendees about component selection and what are some new types of motion control products or vision products or haptic feedback and sensing technologies that will help them really build a better type of healthcare robotic system, regardless of the type of robot that it is. That's great. And you have, I'm looking at your, your keynote list right now. You have two uh, past guests of Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Adam Sachs, the CEO of Acaria Surgical, will be giving a keynote. And Brian Johnson, founder <laughs> of Device Talks, that turncoat, he's speaking at your conference, not mine. What is that about? Uh, How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, no, you know, the keynotes are, are great. You know, Adam is great. Uh, yeah. guy, his, and I'm going to butcher this, but his dad is one of the co-founders of, is it Desktop Metal? I'm not sure. But his father is one of the co-founders of a massive 3D printing company located in Boston. I think it's Desktop Metal, but don't don't quote me on that. But just the brain power. I remember when we had him on our podcast a while back, that was a conversation that we sort of focused on. It was like just the brain power in that family alone is amazing. And he's such a young guy. He's created this novel surgical robotics system. 
from my understanding, one of the keys is the vision and the camera that they've built for that. So that when it's in the sit, when it's, when it's inside of a human body doing some work, it's, it's able to see some things that previous versions of surgical robotic systems are unable to see and detect. So I'm sure he'll get into that. But yeah, just a, just a, a really a, a top-notch list of keynoters. We have Rich Mahoney from Intuitive Surgical, the VP of research at Intuitive Surgical. And again, they've been hands down the leader in surgical robotics for what, the past two decades, maybe? You know, Absolutely. So roughly around that uh, time frame. I know they have a lot more competitors that have popped up in the last couple of years, and, and they'll have more popping up in the near future as their patents continue to expire on a lot of the products that they've built over the last two decades. But he's just going to talk about you know where he sees things going. What's the opportunity for healthcare robotic solutions to expand access to quality healthcare? I mean, that's really what this is all about. But he's such a visionary in the space. We have Charlie Kemp. He's the co-founder and CTO of Hello Robot. That's the mobile manipulation company that I was telling you about. Charlie's great. Uh, he, he's a professor at Georgia Tech, and this company has spun off or spun out of Georgia Tech based on the technology that he's invented at Georgia Tech. They have a robot called Stretch. It's this amazing, lightweight, compact mobile manipulator. He was profiled in the Washington Post mm, four or five months ago about some of the research that he's doing with this, that he's been doing with a, with a guy for the last 15 years or so. This guy suffered a massive stroke when he was, I think, in his 40s, and it's been completely debilitating. So Charlie's worked with this gentleman and his wife and his family over the last period of time, developing different types of mobile manipulation systems that can try to help him remain at his home and get some of the care or some of the assistance that he needs to try to remain as independent as he possibly can. So that's one that I'm really excited about because it's sort of a new, it's a new vertical in the market. And he, Charlie's going to talk about a lot of the research that he's done over the last you know, two decades in, in uh, mobile manipulation. So that, that's a pretty cool one too. Fantastic. And this is the, the second healthcare robotics engineering forum, correct? Yeah, second one. You know, the first one we did, as we alluded to before, December 2019, uh, out in California. You know, we had made the decision before the pandemic hit that we were going to bring it back to Boston anyway. Makes a ton of sense. You know, Boston. You know, there's three really strong robotics clusters in the United States, and you know, I'm biased. I'm from Boston. So. Me too. Woohoo! <laughs> Should have put my Red Sox or my Celtics hat on today, but you know Boston is right there. You got Silicon Valley, you got Pittsburgh. There's other really strong areas of robotics in this country, but those are really the three leading ones. And obviously, Boston is great for all things healthcare as well, right? So I think it makes great, perfect sense to bring that show back here. So yeah, second event that we've ever done, uh, second healthcare robotics engineering forum that we've ever done, and uh, definitely looking forward to it. It's going to be great to see people reconnect with people in person again. See you guys again. See everybody at WTWH. It, you know, it's, it's been a minute, <laughs> as everybody knows. So it'll, it's going to be great. Absolutely. So once again, if folks register for Device Talks Boston, they can attend both the Healthcare Robotics Engineering Forum and the Robotics Summit Expo. And uh, if you want more information about the Healthcare Robotics Engineering Forum, it's healthcareroboticsforum.com. Cool, man. Well, it's been a blast sort of organizing this party with you distantly, of course, remotely, but uh, <laughs> looking forward to uh, it all coming together next week. Thanks for joining us in the podcast and telling us about it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Let's do it again soon. And uh, we'll see you soon, man. Absolutely. 
All right, folks, here's the first of three interview excerpts. Identify all three guests, shoot me their names through some sort of DM, and I'll send you a code for free registration to Device Talks Boston. If you want to uh, pay the old-fashioned way, don't forget to use our discount code DTW25 to save 25%. Hope to see you there in Boston. Let's go. And I'm excited to see where the future is going. I can tell you we won't go back to the way things were. Mm-hmm. And we're definitely seeing that in the discussions we're having with our strategic partners, with our medical device partners, our big hospital partners. They're looking at this as the future. This is not just a, we're going to use it for a few months during COVID and then we'll stop. This is the future of how they want to shift their businesses and how they want to look to unlock value for themselves, but all their stakeholders as well, be it the surgeons, the hospital systems they work with, um, as do we. All right, I'm here with our unofficial, or maybe I should make you official co-chairs, uh, Device Talks Boston co-chairs, Paul Grand of MedTech Innovator and Peter Stebbins, formerly of J&J. And Peter, what's, uh, where, where, where are you executive chairman now? Uh, Nurami Medical. Nurami Medical, Haifa, that's Israel. right. Excellent. Well, you're, you're, you're both going to be contributing an enormous amount to uh, Device Talks Boston on Tuesday. And I'd like to uh, give our listeners just a reminder and an update as to where we are with, uh, with your contributions. We'll start with you, Peter, since uh, you are opening up the session with your interview of uh, Frank Doyle III, the Dean of Harvard John A. Paulson School of Engineering and Applied Sciences. What are our plans with, uh, with Dean Doyle on uh, Tuesday morning? Yeah, no, it's, it should be good. I have to say, I'm getting more excited the more I think about you know him and how this fits in. So he is the Dean of the Harvard School of Engineering and Applied Science, and so people who have been following this Harvard never had an engineering school until like five years ago. And so all through today, was kind of left MIT. They didn't really, they taught it, but they really do it. And so it's gone from zero to 60 in the last 10 years. And now they've got quite a lot of talent, quite a lot of money. And, you know, it's, it's become real, especially this year, because they have this massive 500,000 square foot, I think it was a billion dollar plus building with just you know amazing faculty and students and, and whatnot. But I think the really cool part about this is that Frank is actually one of us. Dean Doyle is a card-carrying medtech pioneer. So he was at the he kind of wrote the seminal work for insulin control that kind of powers a lot of the artificial pancreases that are out there. And even though he's kind of worked his way up through academia, he literally, you know, would have been at the uh, advanced technologies and treatments for diabetes conference in Barcelona last week, which is like the big, you know, annual event. So he is uh, very much a med tech guy. And, um, you know, he's, he's there at that, that school, which, uh, uh, again, uh, if 10 years from now, it'll seem like they've always been there, I think, because uh, I imagine they've got, um, you know, a good amount of talent. And I know a lot of students have wanted to go to Harvard, but they didn't have engineering schools. <laughs> so they didn't have it. They didn't have that capability. So uh, I think there's uh, really a, a lot of great talent and um, a lot of great things coming out of there. The other piece I'd say for the, for this audience is that I was talking to some of his staff, and really the, the two things that, that Dean Doyle has focused on since he came dean five, six years ago is in diversity and inclusion and community uh, outreach and, and translation. So that's kind of where he's added people and it's, it's where he's spending money. And so I really think that this is a kind of introduction to the community, to, because to be honest, until they opened this building, it really wasn't worth telling the world that other than students, maybe that they had this big engineering facility and all this $500 million, you know, uh, Chan Zuckerberg neuroscience, uh, you know, program for AI. But now, you know, the doors are opening wide 
and this happens to be a, a great time for, for the community to, to meet and interact with him. One of his faculty is going to be speaking the next day. Connor Walsh is um, a robotics pioneer. He'll be uh, speaking at the uh, parallel program at the BCEC on, on Wednesday. And just a lot going on and, and uh, looking forward to the questions. You know, orthopedics is a fascinating segment within medical devices. I think, you know, I like the fact that we work very closely with our clinicians. You know, innovation in orthopedic happens when you work with your clinicians, you work with engineers. Uh, so I like that. That's one. The second thing I would say is you can see the impact it makes on patients, right? It's about mobility. I have family members. It's very interesting, Tom. If you do a town hall and you ask people how many of you have friends or family who have musculoskeletal issues or have benefited from our products, a lot mm-hmm. of hands go up. My mother, she passed away last year, but my mother had total knee replacement and she had diffuse in these knees and I could see the impact it made in her life. Well, that's fantastic. So you'll be opening up May 10th for us, Peter Seven. So, so thank you for doing that. And uh, Paul, you're going to be a, a, a up and down the lineup after that, if I can continue with, a, I don't know why I'd want to bring up baseball with the Red Sox playing the way they are, but you, you're going to be doing full duty on, on both days. What are the plans for, uh, for MedTech Innovator? Well, we are going to be busy. I think this, I'm going to be running around from room to room, session to session, it feels like for the entire conference for those two days, but I, I'm incredibly excited. So uh, it'll be great to hear Peter kick things off with, uh, with that keynote. I'm bringing with me the small, the small uh, number of companies. We're bringing 22 companies with us from really all over the, the U.S. and all around the world that we carefully selected out of over 1,000 companies who applied this year. So we're bringing 22 of those companies to the conference, plus we're bringing about 70 of our judges. So these are our corporate partners, you know, the J&Js and Olympuses, others of the world. So we have, you know, 27 corporate partners. So we'll have about, as I said, about 70 judges, many of whom are investors, clinicians, and others. And as I said, we have 22 companies we're bringing. These are companies, six in orthopedics, we've got three in general surgery, three in cardiology, a couple in dermatology, we've got neurology, ophthalmology, physical medicine, anesthesiology, and critical care. I mean, we've got lots of companies to look at. And what's really cool about this event is that the companies we're bringing are not starry-eyed people just out of an academic lab, nothing against the keynote we're talking about. That's fantastic. (laughs) Um, But- these are companies that have are specifically were selected because they're what we call our mid-stage cohort. So these are companies that are in the running for MedTech Innovators 2022 showcase program, where they'll be showcased not only at Device Talks, which they will, but also at the Wilson Sonsini Annual Medical Device Conference in June, which is June 17th in San Francisco, and the AvMed MedTech Conference which is at the end of the year in October in Boston. And so these companies, if they pass muster in device talks, are going to move on to the showcase track where they'll be showcased at all these big conferences. And these are companies that have raised a huge amount of money. These are Series B, Series C, Series D companies. These are companies with revenue 
uh, clinical you know, trials behind them. In many cases, some still doing clinical work, but these are companies that are on the market. In some cases, these are like, if you're, if you're looking for the hot new companies, these are 22 of them. And they're, as I said, they're not just from, 15 of them are from the US, but we've got companies from the UK, from Singapore, South Korea, Israel, Germany, France, flying in to device talks just to present uh, at this opportunity. We could talk more about them, but I mean, everything, you know, robotics companies, companies that are, you know, doing all the really cool AI enabled technology. We're all looking for to predict heart disease. And really, you know, it's all the stuff. If you want to see it, it's going to be at Device Talks. Well, you have their descriptions up on your website. So I think folks can seek it out there. But talk about the process. So I, I, I didn't realize how, uh, how much of a, uh, a group you traveled with when you did these, these. Not only do you have the companies, you have the judges, and it's really a complex process that'll, that'll culminate in the MedTech pitch contest on a pitch competition on 245 on May 11th. What is the process like and how do those finalists get selected for the competition on the second day? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. There is a huge process that often is not obvious to everybody. But we spend a year doing this. So we spend the entire <laughs> year preparing for all this. We started in November with companies applying. We had over a thousand companies apply. We have over 400 people reviewing those applications to give us input from strategics, from investors, from clinicians, providers, payers, you name it. We have people from all over the industry, service providers and others weighing in saying, what they think is interesting and why they think these companies are important or not important. And only if our strategic partners, so again, those are companies like Beck and Dickinson, Edwards Life Sciences, W.L. Gore, you know, I mentioned J&J and Olympus already and Nipro Medical, there's so many companies that are corporate partners. They go through every one of these applications that are relevant to them. They tell us, I want to see this company pitch. And the reason they do that is because they want to see these companies in our accelerator. They want to mentor these companies, help them with their products and make them better products. So when they arrive on the market, these things don't have to be ripped apart and rebuilt and start again. They're actually the products that people want. And that's a lot of what the mentorship is about. So they're very involved in that process. They choose the companies to advance. So the companies, the 22 companies that are pitching at Device Talks were all selected by our corporate partners as companies they wanted to see there. And there were a lot more who had applied, who wanted to be there in Boston, who were certainly compelling, but these are the ones that were selected to pitch. So those are the companies. That process, as I said, really does run for about seven months of just selecting the companies. It's a lot like a venture diligence process. So we're going to have a committee. So at the at the events, as you said, you don't realize we travel with so many people, literally 70 people in Dublin last week who were judging for us in Dublin, Ireland at the MedTech Strategist right before their conference. Same drill, but totally different companies. We've been in DC, we've been in Houston. You know, one event we had 90 judges in Houston evaluating wow. these companies. So, you know, it's a huge traveling road tour. It's not just Simon, Paula, and Randy. We're bringing 90 Simon, Pauls, and Randy, and they're hard, they're tough critics. And that's part of the fun of all this is that we don't just have people pitch and then applaud. We actually sit down and we say, wait, that makes no sense. Why are you doing that? Or how are you going to convince somebody to pay that? that that's completely overpriced. And you know, you're not talking about these four competitors and they're ahead of you. And what about this? And we really spend a lot of time with these companies, giving them a lot of feedback. So that's all going on right during device talk. So in parallel to a showcase that'll be happening throughout the day at device talks, 
where there's a couple of different times on both Tuesday and Wednesday where our companies are going to be showcased in the room next to the ballroom, I think it is. We'll also be down in the exhibit floor in a private event where we're meeting with all these companies, giving them feedback. Those 70 people will be down there giving all these companies feedback throughout the day, and then they'll hopefully get better for their presentations later in the day to the Device Talks audience. And then eventually, we'll do the competition, which will be Wednesday. As you mentioned, at 2.45 to 3.30, we're just going to pick four companies to compete. Um, They'll get uh, a guaranteed slot in MedTech Innovator, which is huge. They'll get some additional cash prizes as well to help them cover travel. And then those companies eventually will choose at the end of May for MedTech Innovator. They'll be part of our program, as I mentioned a little before, but that'll run throughout the summer and then into the fall where we have the AvMed conference. So tons to come. It's a huge opportunity for these companies. But again, if you're listening to this and you're interested in seeing the emerging companies, the hottest emerging companies, 22 of them are going to be at Device Talks. This is definitely worth your time to go. And you don't have to be one of our judges. We have them all presenting. All 22 companies will be presenting at Device Talks throughout the conference. You can go in, you can meet with them. You know, this is this is the time to meet these companies. Great. So if you're an investor or if you're an entrepreneur looking for uh, to sort of see how uh, how these later stage companies are doing it, or if you're uh, some sort of provider, service provider who is looking for uh, sort of your next big client, it seems like a great opportunity for you to sit in and see what the future holds. Yeah, look, it's a highly enriched pool to be mining in, I guess that is the way I'd put it. If you're an investor, a strategic service provider, these are the companies you want to know because they have money. They are the products that all of us have vetted already and said, these are really important companies. You know, you look back historically, this is our 10th year, 95% of the companies who've been through MedTech Innovator that we've selected are either still in business or have been acquired, 95%. We, we pick very few dogs at MedTech Innovator. <laughs> We're really good at picking. These companies, as I said, these are well-funded and very advanced companies. You know, Another category you didn't mention would be if you're looking to go work for a company mm-hmm. yes. um, and yes. you're saying, hey, I'm thinking about, I just finished, either you're working somewhere else and you're saying, hey, I might want to join a startup or you're out there and you're available and you're saying, boy, I'm, I'm wondering what my next gig is. You want to check out these 22 companies because these are all companies that are going places. We had one company that applied that emailed us after we invited them to pitch at Device Talks and said, we didn't meet our primary endpoint and we're shutting down. So that happens, right? But that's that's rare that's the business, in the selection though. process. for that's, that's the business we're in. But my point is these 22 companies, if you're looking to go to go somewhere, this, these companies are going somewhere. Yeah, I tell you, it's, it's going to be, just think about, it's been over two years since we did any networking in, in MedTech in Boston or I don't know where else in the country. And there's just going to be, you know, so much energy around there, right? You get those 25 companies and that people and your 70 judges and all those great speakers. And it's really going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of fun. And, and to your point about people looking for something, it's coming out of the great resignation. People are kind of like, Hey, what do I want to do? This is going to be great networking and also potentially great uh, checking out other companies um, to consider to, uh, to be aligned with both uh, these startups, which is a great thing. And then also sounding like there's going to be a lot of uh, medium and large companies out there too. So should be, uh, yep. should be fun in Boston. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, actually, I'll just say one more thing, Tom, you mentioned this before. I should have said it myself. If you go to medtechinnovator.org, just go to our website, medtechinnovator.org. At the top of the page is a big banner that says Boston Pitch Event, Device Talks. Click that. It has the list of all 22 companies. You can click those links and you could go to their websites and see what they're all about. 
But as I said, they're in every, you know, almost every discipline you'd want to imagine. So go check that out, learn about these companies, and uh, I hope you'll be joining us at Device Talks. Fantastic. Well, when I joined Device Talks, I wanted to make sure the innovation and investment was a robust part of our programming. And I'm grateful to the two of you for ensuring that our first public showing will be so strong. I mean, between starting off with the presentation by Dean Doyle going really, really early stage and then carrying right through to mid to late stage privately held companies, it's going to be a a great couple of days. So uh, thank you both for your contributions. Thank you for hosting us. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, should be great. Be good for the uh, ecosystem. Good stuff. And nationally as well. So fantastic. I want to I want to talk about the division in a minute, but just one more question yeah. about your your journey. So uh, most division leaders, it seems, come from sales and marketing. Uh, you're coming with an engineering perspective. Lisa, earlier on, it was part of your DNA. Uh, I guess any lessons learned of being being an engineer in in sort of in this role is it is it any different? Are you drawing on those engineering skills, or, or have you definitely put those behind you and you and you've kind of become more of the marketing person? I love this question. I actually get asked it quite a bit. So I will never, ever completely put my engineering skills behind me, right? Mm -hmm. The nice thing about medical devices is it's very technical, both the biomechanics of the procedures that we're doing, as well as the biomechanics of how the devices work, Mm -hmm. the loads that they have to go under, the energy that is being deployed. It's very, very technical. And so my learning curve to kind of understand the technical aspects of these procedures, of these devices, and of what surgeons are trying to accomplish was quite quick. And my my journey in medical devices has largely mostly been in marketing um, with a little bit of sales management throughout. And so I'd say my foundation was sort of poured. (laughs) My technical foundation was poured in undergrad and in those early years at Gillette and then in that graduate work. But it's, it's really been the commercial part of my med tech journey since I joined Johnson & Johnson in 2000, where the rest of the house was built. And, and it's, been, it's been quite nice because I feel like it's made me a very well-rounded business professional. Well, Dave Evans, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. Appreciate it. It's, uh, it's an interesting story. Uh, so usually I talk to medical device executives about their paths to work at larger OEMs. But uh, we talk a lot about supply chain, obviously, with them. We'll be talking about it at our upcoming meeting in Boston. It's a huge issue. So when I came upon Fictive and it's $100 million Series E funding, and the fact that, you know, if you mentioned Bill Gates as, a, as an investor, that always catches my attention. So uh, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, gravitas to your syndicate. So uh, I, I want to learn a bit about Fictive. Tell me what Fictive is, and then we'll get yeah. into sort of how long you've been around. Yeah, for sure. So Fictive, we're an on-demand manufacturing company. So we're helping folks that are making devices, a lot of your readers and you know founders that you talk to, how do you help accelerate the product development of those devices to commercialize them or, or get them to market sooner? There's really kind of three major business solutions we focus on. So that new product development, that's definitely one. Mm-hmm. We also do a lot of ETO, so engineer to order products which is, you know, uh, very common in the, the medical world of, you know, very customized devices, you know, by patient, and then a lot of aftermarket or, or MRO as well. And so we kind of live in this capability world of how do you help build mechanical products? So injection molding, additive manufacturing, CNC machining, how do you help solve that supply chain challenge of really driving speed with better quality uh, and giving real transparency or visibility into that that supply chain, that's our thats our everyday. So I can talk a lot about how that works. How do we drive speed? How do we drive transparency? 
you know, but it's uh, really, really helping companies produce better products. So we, we do see a lot of that in the medical device industry. I'm wondering what is unique about Fictive that convinced investors, including uh, Activate Capital, Angelino Group, Cross Creek, and of course, you mentioned Bill Gates and others, to commit $100 million into the company. And you've raised $200 million since your $192 million since your founding in 2013. So do you have some secret sauce that others don't have, or are you just doing things on a, on a grander scale? Definitely secret sauce. Um, <laughs> I would say... Look, the, the, the business is growing at 100% year over year for you know the last three years. So we've just seen incredible, incredible growth and, and continue to do that. You know, medical probably makes up, I don't know, at least a quarter, if not, you know, a third of the business. And mm-hmm. surgical robots, you know, is maybe 10% of the business. We do a lot of that work. And then, you know, the other portion is a lot of handheld medical devices, you know, instruments and, and different procedural uh, things. And so when I think about, you know, why are investors investing, it's really around business transformation, Tom. It's that we are taking businesses that, you know, maybe take years to get to market and we help them do it in months. Like a, a very good example, we'll send you the case study, folks can read it, is a company called Transmed7. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make a forward coring biopsy device. So specifically for breast cancer. A million people get a biopsy in the U.S. every year. 240,000 are diagnosed with cancer as a part of that, that biopsy. Transmed7, um, their founder, you, if you haven't had him on your show, he's had two exits over, over half a billion dollars already wow. in his career. And this is his, his kind of third venture working on it. And so when you think about what, what FICT has been able to do with them, we took a development cycle of getting their devices cleared by the FDA that it was usually about six years for them to get through that process. They did it in a year by leveraging Fictive. So we took their development time from literally six, seven years down to one year. So when you think about why are investors investing, it's really that business transformation that's done. And you know they're doing it through leveraging our software to design, get manufacturing feedback, price their components better. They're using it, our manufacturing ecosystem. So all these, this network of, of partners that we've built to accelerate injection molding and all their, their tooling design. Um, it's complex gears we've been able to produce for them. It's really like you take all these stages and you're really able to see a lot of transformation for that business. And I think that that's why investors, like you just mentioned, are you know doubling down and putting a lot of capital to work to, to continue growing the business. What what are the origins of your technologies, your offerings, your products? Are you is this all things that you've developed in house? Have you been acquiring other companies and sort of yeah, great, building them great, into one? Great question. It's all in house IP that okay. we've developed. Let's go back to the the origin story here. I'm a mechanical engineer from Stanford. I was building infotainment systems, so dashboards of cars at Ford, and so it really was about taking my learnings as a product design engineer to say, great, how can you go faster? How can you do this? And all this latency and trouble I had of trying to design and build components, it's saying, great, let's let's make that better. And so what we've done is that we built an ecosystem where we have 250 vetted manufacturing partners that we vetted with data, test parts, boots on the ground, seeing them. And we allow an engineer, like at Transmed7, to order parts from this vetted network through our software. So they take a file, they can upload that file to our our web-based platform and they get instant pricing back. 
They then also get manufacturing feedback on those components. They can track the order of their product like it's a Domino's pizza. <laughs> but I think you can track a $10 pizza better than <laughs> you can, you know, a $50,000 of, of medical device equipment. And so really, I think it's around that software we've developed to do quality, to do pricing, to do manufacturing feedback. That is where a lot of the, the secret sauce lives and, and how we're differentiating in, in the world. So it's as effective as lead movements to virtualize complex manufacturing workflows. It sounds like that's what we're talking about. So 100%. is fictive really the connective tissue between all these independent entities that are part of your network? Did you say connective tissues? Because we're on, you know, medical and, and device. Yes, talk. I did. That's yeah. good. Yeah. I, I like that. That's good. <laughs> yeah. We 100%. I mean, think about this. Your Transmed 7 or your any large, you know, Fortune 500 med device company. And what you're trying to do is take your idea, your innovation, and give that to a contract manufacturer to actually produce and get to market, ultimately to solve patient needs. And that connective tissue that's today, it's email, it's PowerPoint, it's spreadsheets, like it is low tech. 1990s Bill Gates stuff, mm -hmm. you know. So, sorry, Microsoft, <laughs> but like, but like, it's, it's an investor now. You got to be careful, yeah. then. Yeah, it's 2020. Like, come on, let's let's actually, you know, build better workflows. Let's really think about virtualizing these, both to help product design engineers and supply chain professionals, like the Daves at Ford, or you know, like the engineers at, at Transmed, really have better workflows. And the ultimate outcome of that is de-risk products getting the market. So it's better products done faster, but it's also innovation acceleration that you get to accelerate, you know, this core biopsy device getting to market sooner. And if there's a million biopsies every year and you can shave six years off that, that's 6 million patients that are going to, you know, have better outcomes that would have taken a decade. And, you know, for me, I have family members that have gone through breast cancer. And like, if I can help just by driving innovation and supply chain, you know, help my family members or people in my community, you know, get better biopsy, all because we, we did better workflows, like, that's an awesome outcome for the world. And something, you know, we're really passionate about. So the work being done on product development, on manufacturing, the actual creation of, of things, this fictive is that all done by members of your network or do you have elements of that business as well? We don't own a single machine. That's okay. a great question. So like we are a technology company, but we are the manufacturer of record for say Transmed 7, meaning that they they really like rely on Fictive. It's our quality, it's our pricing, it's our contracts with them is with Fictive. We just happen to not own machines, you know, similar to an AWS or an Uber right? Like Uber doesn't own the cars taking you to Logan, you know, or, or to SFO or, or JFK or wherever, but you are using Uber service to do that. It's a very similar model in how to, how to think about this. I've got, I was going to ask, so, so I, I think of like a Trello where you get this organization stuff on your, on your site, and then you have your Uber Eats, which is actually delivering the stuff. Are you kind of amalgamation of the both? Totally. Yeah. Imagine you get the workflows of Trello, all that digital productivity that you're getting. Yeah. But like in Uber Eats, it's like you're actually delivering real things there. So it's this combination of manufacturing workflows, you know, with a, you know, delivery or, or collaborative consumption model, you know, like a, an Uber. Interesting. So in you, and you said it in your previous answer or the answer before that, I was going to ask, yeah. are, are you a technology company? Is this really what this is, a technology play? 
hundred percent. We are a Silicon Valley venture backed tech company, that, but that's doing it in supply chain. Like how mm. many, how many true technology companies are in supply chain? Like very few, I right. would say. And so I think this investment of look, this is a hundred million dollars. It's late stage, you know, growth company. You can see investors are also looking at the industrial space and saying, wow, we can, we can really grow this. It's not only good for the Transmed 7s, it's financially, there's a lot of benefits here as well. So I suspect this will be heard by a lot of uh, smaller product development shops, a lot of contract manufacturers. How do they become, if they want to, become part of your network? Do you seek people out? Do you take applications? How do you, how do you build? And I assume you're going to have to expand your network as you get bigger and bigger. Yeah. I mean, I think what's really important to just double, triple emphasize here is that it's all about quality, Tom. Yeah. We don't just take it anyone or everyone. Like Quality is why customers keep coming back to us time and time again. And so as we look to bring on these partners, there's a whole onboarding process. They have to do test parts. There's boots on the ground to inspect it. They're using our software in their, their facilities. And the, the quality is really what's key. I think the other thing that I would highlight is let's take injection molding. A lot of medical devices use a lot of plastic, a lot of injection molding. You know, how we think about our differentiation there is your parts done your way. Meaning like there's other competitors out there that do some digital manufacturing, but you have to really constrain your designs to whatever their capabilities are, right? If you're working directly with one of those CMs or or another digital partner, you have to go to their capabilities. The reason our business model works so well is that you come with your designs and we're going to produce parts however your designs are. It's not building towards fictive standards. It's saying, what are your standards? And we're going to manufacture that at the quality you need. And that's a really, I think, both big growth driver, but it's also how we set ourselves apart from competition is that, you know, it's it's around that quality. And then it's also, you know, around the technology and your Trello, all those workflows that we build. If I'm a, a medical device company, I come to you with a device that needs to be made, I give you the design. Do I know who's working on it from the other side? Am I working directly with the manufacturer, with the with the additive manufacturing company or with the product design shop? Or are you the go-between? The I'm, go-between. I'm the go-between mm-hmm. because we we standardize all the information, the workflows, and that's what we are experts at. You know, think about those shops. They're both running machines, trying to quote things, delivering to cut. They're all over the place doing many different tasks. Mm-hmm. And so you will talk to fictive's application engineers and they'll walk you through Tom and say, hey, change that design or it'll be cheaper if you do this or try an additive process here that you might not even know about. And we're going to give you, you know, all of those different pieces of feedback and, and work with you hand in hand to get the best product built. And what are the economics like for, well, first for the customer, the metal device company, are they paying more, less, the same than they would if they're working with someone directly? Generally the same, but then also this network of 250 is global. So you can work both with, you know, maybe the manufacturers in Worcester, or maybe it's out in Texas, you know, uh, in Dallas, or maybe it's in Guangzhou, China, or in Pune, India. And all of that is, is choice for you. You're uploading your designs and do you want it made overseas? Do you want it made locally? Mm-hmm. Hey, it's a thousand bucks here. It's $400 here. You really get choice into where and how you want the, the product made, but it's all in one place. It's a, it's a one-stop shop. 
You said Worcester correctly, so you get you get bonus uh, not, points. For not Worcester. <laughs> Good well, for you. I may be a I may be a Californian, but uh, I don't want to get beat up by you, Tom, by saying, <laughs> by saying Worcester wrong. You just embarrass the both of us. But you nailed it. Okay. Good for you. Uh, all right. Well, and then flip side. What are the economics like for your network partners? I mean, I mentioned Uber Eats kind of off the cuff, but, you know, restaurants say that it costs them a lot of money to have food delivered through Uber Eats. Yeah. What's the relationship like with the individual vendors you're working with? I think what's different is, you know, in the Uber Eats, a restaurant sells a set number of things, right? I can get a, I can burger, fries, and Coke. There's not much customization to that. The manufacturer side, everything is different. One day I'm making this plastic device. The next day I'm making these gears. You know, it's like, it's all over the place. So a shop generally, a factory will generally only win 20% of the work that they bid on. Like, imagine that. Imagine like that, that conversion rate. That's really difficult. So what we're doing is we take all of that front end overhead out of a, a factory. So like the jobs we are sending are paid for with better purchasing terms that like have due dates and prices on them. Mm-hmm. And they're just saying accept or reject. They can do either or. And so we, you know, back to these workflows we talked about, Tom, we're really streamlining that not only just for the Transmed 7s, but also for the manufacturing partners. So when you see it, like manufacturing partners love working with us. It's like, it's a free, it's like a, a source of money that they've, you know, with really low overhead that they've never had access to. And we really think it's a win-win-win across the board. Is it a Fiverr or Upwork situation where you've got multiple, if someone's looking for work, that they have multiple choices for costs mm. and they're looking at costs? Is it? No, we're actually assigning. That's a, that's a okay. really great point. So there's no bidding on the mm-hmm. back end because then they, the efficiency gains aren't there. We would say, hey, Tom, you have a gear manufacturing shop. We've onboarded you. You're awesome. I'm only going to send you gear work that you're really good at when you say you have capacity. So you turn it on and say, hey, you know, I don't have many customers right now. I'm looking for extra work. Cool. You know, Transmit 7 needs that gearbox. Oh, available. Tom's quality is awesome. We say here, Tom, 10,000 bucks due on May 15th. Mm-hmm. Yes or no. Do you want it? And you're like, oh, that's great. That's a perfect. And you okay. just hit accept and you're off off to the races. Wow. So Fictive does not have an actual do you have an actual building with the name Fictive on it at all? You've got $100 million now. You could afford that. But is there a place <laughs> to put a big sign? We're opening an office in Phoenix just to, okay. ha- to have a big sign, I would say. <laughs> and in San Francisco, we still have a headquarters there as well. Okay. But they are, by and large, empty, I would say, <laughs> unless there's an investor meeting or a customer meeting. Look, I think remote work is the the way of the future and business is scaling and is great. And you know, we also have physical offices in, in China as well. So we have a four-story building in China and in Pune, India as well. So yeah, we do have physical offices both in China and, and Pune as well, but by and large, people are working in a, in a remote setting. Great. And final question. Uh, so when I first saw the press release and the suggestion that you're going to solve urgent supply chain needs, I thought this was a way of producing, you were going to produce things faster. You were going to physically make, but your solution for supply chain, the supply chain issue is just better cooperation and communication between makers and people who need the parts made. You got it. And I think that, you know, like we talked about in the Transmit 7 example, the business outcomes are even greater than if I owned machines. So Mm. it's a new look at the process. Obviously, we've made 19 million parts through the system. So it's not our first rodeo by any means. And I think that now is the time where businesses are saying, how do I put more agility 
into my supply chain? How do I de-risk my business by having better geographic resiliency? How do I digitize all this? So like all these big business level questions, I think we're seeing a huge adoption of solutions like our on-demand ecosystem. Great. And, and final, final question. I don't have the email in front of me. I think you, I think you currently, let's just talk about your work in medical devices. You mentioned the percentage yep. before, if you could repeat that, what are your plans to grow that? Do you anticipate having more of your business in medical devices? And, and I think you've identified a couple of your big name clients. Could you let me know who yeah. they are? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I think injection molding is a, is a really big category for us, especially in medical and having parts designed, your parts done your way. Like that's a, that's a big element of it. CNC machining. So if we, we look at, you know, I said almost 10% of our, of our business comes from surgical robots mm -hmm. and those are using our CNC machining for precision components and gear hobbing and end effectors and all the things that go into those robots, you know, and then we're doing a lot of like 3d goggle work for either AR or VR for, you know, different healthcare applications. And that's another, you know, large majority. So probably, you know, maybe a third or, or at least a quarter of our work is in the medical space. And I definitely expect that to grow because medical devices need complex mechanical components. And, you know, they tend to be really, you know, the long pole in the tent for supply chain. So we're, we're really solving that. And I think we'll continue to do so. Excellent. All right. Well, I really enjoyed talking to you and uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks so much for the, the time, Tom. Really, really appreciate it. All right. Well, that is a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. This podcast has been just an essential part of my career, of my life, of my work here at Device Talks, and it's been an enormous contributor to Device Talks Boston. As you could hear from the uh, the snippets that we used today from our interviews, I was able to engage with a lot of great people who are going to be speaking at Device Talks Boston. So really, if you enjoy this podcast, you're going to enjoy our Device Talks meetings because it's really an extension of that. So go to devicetalks.com to register. Once again, if you know who we just featured on the podcast, shoot me a DM on LinkedIn or shoot me an email at T-S-A-L-E-M-I at WTWHmedia.com. You can also reach me on Twitter. I'm at MedTechTom. Shoot me a DM there and uh, would love to connect with you. Please share this episode of the podcast, uh, especially if, uh, if you know someone who would be interested in attending Device Talks Boston or our upcoming Device Talks Minnesota meeting, which I should have mentioned earlier. That is not too far away. That's happening on June 6th and 7th. So we have a lot going on here at Device Talks. You can find out about it all at devicetalks.com. Please do remember to subscribe to this podcast channel. You'll not only receive Device Talks Weekly, You'll also receive Striker Talks and Intuitive Talks, and you can also subscribe separately to our Medtronic Talks podcast. It'd be great to have you listening to all this great medtech content. That is a wrap. Thank you again for joining us. And I really, 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 really hope we see you on Tuesday and Wednesday at Device Talks Boston. If you are there and you see me, I'll be a guy in a suit and the glasses, and I'm sure you've seen my face around on a Device Talks Tuesday please uh, stop and say hello, even if it's just a quick uh, elbow bump or handshake or whatever you're comfortable with. It'd be great to, uh, to meet so many of you in person.